Welcome to chapter six of the Director's Diary. Thank you so much for being here. It means a lot that you're listening. This week, we're joined by a good friend and someone I've always wanted to get onto this podcast. Um, his name's Till Jones. He's the co-artistic director of Naive Theatre, but broadly describes himself as a director, a writer and a producer. This chapter explores everything from setting up as a theatre company to touring, um, working with venues and... Tyrrell's personal director's process. So without further ado, let's get on with the podcast. My name is Alex Palmer and this is The Director's Diary. It's no one's intention ever to share a diary, so if you're listening to this, keep it close and use it well. So thank you very much for joining me, Tyrrell. Um, thank you. It's amazing to have you on the podcast. I've been wanting to do this for a while. Um, first of all, um, I've done this with a couple of other guests. Can you just... Tell us how you've got to this moment now in terms of your journey as a director. Yeah, um, so I I guess, I, like a lot of people, fell in love with theatre quite early on. Uh, I, I think I was yeah quite, quite young, decided I wanted to be an actor um, and um, thought very seriously when leaving school about, um, uh, about applying to drama school. Um, and then I was kind of persuaded um, to uh, study politics instead um, and um, because that was my other kind of big interest and ended up going to uh, Cambridge University to study politics and during that time did a lot of acting but then also got pulled into directing because I increasingly kind of wanted to be talking about and sharing some of the things that I was learning about or things that I was thinking about in terms of politics um, and Increasingly, like I started making theatre, which was very, very political, um, and that felt like the way I wanted to express that, and those two things came together. Um, so, yeah, so I started directing, uh, I guess, in my second year of uni, seriously, and I, yeah, never, never really looked back. Kind of that, that was the, I think, by the end of university I was absolutely sure that I wanted to be a director I ran a small theatre in my final year there was a small studio space in my college um, and uh, I I sort of programmed that for a year and um, really enjoyed being a, a sort of artistic director and having the kind of programming policy and all that kind of thing um, and I think that was the moment I, I decided that yeah this is definitely what I want to do so then I came out of university and literally applied to every job an arts job on the arts jobs website that I thought could be vaguely relevant um, and the only one I got an interview for or invited for an interview for was um, a, a, a job on a, what was called the Future Artists Scheme um, at the Barbican Theatre comma Plymouth um, <laughs> and um, uh, so I went down to Plymouth for this it, it was a kind of sort of assistant director in training but it was kind of quite vague um, and I, I got that job and spent a year there um, work, doing a lot of workshops with refugees and asylum seekers and also a lot of anti-racist workshops across um, Plymouth and the surrounding area and got quite, I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a, a very inspiring place to be because it was really a theatre and education place, um, but one with a very, very strong political ethos. And we worked on, I worked on a huge project there with young people from uh, the city of Plymouth and refugees and asylum seekers and a few professionals um, for the Cultural Olympiad in 2012. And there I, and on that project, um, and actually well throughout that year, I met another uh, a guy called Sam Redway, who um, is, uh, is an actor and also the co now the co-artistic director of my company. And we had a very similar ethos or a set of ideas about what we thought the kind of theatre we wanted to make um, uh, and the kind of things that we wanted to say to the world and the kind of and, and what theatre could be so uh, that we then went to London and it was quite a, a tough time in London both thought we both thought that the theatre streets would be paved with gold um, they absolutely weren't um, <laughs> and uh, we then uh, as sort of, I think there was a there was a real dip where we were both out of work and both broke and I was living in a flat which flooded with faeces on two occasions in this oh one winter um, and we came up with an idea for a show about Osama Bin Laden um, and 
one of we one of us said, wouldn't it be an amazing I, uh, amazing thing to give a Western audience the experience of listening to Bin Laden's story from his point of view, how that changed conversations about foreign policy and politics and perspective and racism and just all, all the things that connected to those conversations. Yeah. And yeah, and we and then we so then we just applied it. We we wrote to a venue at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and we applied and we we had then had to do it and we had to make this show and we made it on a shoestring really and then it, it did really well. Um so that was really the moment where we thought, okay, maybe this is this is possible and that show is still going. Um mm. and now six years later, um we're still in conversations about international touring with that show. Um and we came back from Australia with it um, about four months ago. So uh, yeah, and then and then we both decided we needed to train a bit because we'd only really had university um, education. Neither of us had had vocational training. So then I went to Birkbeck, um, who had, then that, who had they have a fantastic theatre directing masters, uh, master of fine arts, which is kind of second to none, I would say, in terms of director training. There isn't very much director training in the UK. They happen to be an organisation which is firstly peer assessed, so it's not assessed by academics in the university, but it's assessed by other directors that come in, yeah. who are practising directors, um, which I think is very important. And it also has a two part, um, two parts to it. The first part is kind of really vocational training. The second part is where your vocational training goes to, transfers to a theatre, and where you spend a year in an attachment to theatre. And I that's what brought me up to Leeds for the first time. Um, I was attached to the then West Yorkshire Playhouse, now the Leeds Playhouse, and spent a year kind of back-to-back -back assistant directing, doing lots of different stuff. And then at the end of that, um, uh, and Sam also went off to do um, uh, to study at RADA for a year. And at the end of that, we then felt like we had the skills to found a company properly. And we set up Naive Theatre, um, spelled K-N-A-I-V-E. And um, we decided to tour Bin Laden um, internationally and start off with that. And we took Bin Laden to America. And then we, and then off the back of that, we were able to kind of develop a relationship with the Royal Exchange Theatre in Manchester, supported artists there. Um, were able to undertake various kind of experiments and things that we wanted to test out. They supported us in creating our kind of second major show, which was an adaptation of a science fiction novel um, uh, from the 1930s by an author called Carol Chapek, um, a Czech writer, uh, called War with the Newts, um, which is a completely mad uh, book, and it was a completely mad play. But it, and that was a real step up for us because it became proper touring piece of theatre we had to buy a van um you know and uh uh and yeah and it's three actors live musician and that and i guess so i guess that's kind of where we are at the moment and we're now looking forward to the kind of next big uh touring projects and there's a few a couple of different options depending on what bites in different places and hopefully we'll have a next uh a next major show um uh, up and running in April, May next year. That's great. Um, so I've got a lot of different questions. Um, I guess we'll start with setting up as a company then. Um, mm. Can you talk to us about, uh, first of all, that initial conversation in Plymouth with Sam and how you knew that that was someone you wanted to work with? And also, I guess... Th what would be interesting is kind of the logistics of setting up like what do you need what did you need to s say okay we're now a company this is our manifesto our reason why that kind of stuff. well I mean we initially we didn't really we sort of agreed I think we thought up the name when we were in Plymouth um, but and, and what's the idea behind the name I mean it's a kind of smashing together of well, well basically we decided that what we want we thought theatre should be is that it should be in some way mischievous and sort of like, yeah, a little bit disobedient or disrespectful to, you know, the powers that be. Mm -hmm. But also it should be naive in its approach um, and ask genuinely open questions, not expecting to necessarily know your own answers. 
And that's actually the really hard thing to do with political theatre. Yeah. To um, not set an agenda, this is why we're doing Yeah, that. exactly. And so we had a lot of conversations with the artistic director at that theatre, a guy called Mark Laville, who was very kind of keen on this idea of, you know, ask questions genuinely, mm. not ones that you expect to know the answer to. And actually that really affected me because uh, I think... Although that ethos was talked about in terms of academia in somewhere like Cambridge, um, I would say not many of my sort of uh, peers, and probably not me either, was very interested in doing that. It was all about demonstrating knowledge and why you're right yeah. um, and why you're clever or whatever. Um, and this idea really needled at me as one of those things because it was one of those criticisms of you know that really sort of stuck in my head yeah. and. So we thought about make, the way that we would make work would be asking genuinely difficult questions that challenge us. Because telling people what you think and how they should think what you think is fundamentally patronising. And I think that's where political theatre falls down. Um, and that's what people hate when people say they don't like political theatre. What they really mean is, I don't like being told what to think by someone else. And when it feels like propaganda, it's unpleasant. Mm. But when political theatre is about provoking a conversation and genuinely asking a difficult, difficult question that you don't know the answer to, yeah. you might have some answers by the end of the process, That obviously because you're going on this journey of discovery. Exactly. But where the work asks questions and forces the audience to ask questions which have don't have easy answers, that is the political theatre that we decided that we wanted to make. So hence the naivety, and we describe it as being a naive approach, a kind of like disrespectful but naive yeah. approach to asking questions. Um, and as though we didn't have the baggage that we do have. Yeah. And, so, and actually that's quite difficult to find the subject matter that draws us to those things, those questions that are genuinely difficult and challenge ourselves. Uh, one of the reasons why we're one of the possibilities for our next show is a show about um, masculinity and toxic masculinity. Um, because as, as two uh, straight men, um, straight cis men, we, we are challenged, well, we have historically been challenged by some of those things. And the way in which we were brought up, or certainly, uh, certainly I, I've, be, I've spent time in some fairly toxic masculine environments and believing that was normal, certainly when I was younger. And so reflecting on those things is challenging. And I think, and I, I find some of those questions challenging and I want to go on that journey with other people. Um, so yeah, so that, that, that became the ethos and that, that was the name. Um, we didn't actually really become a company until a year later when we actually decided to make some work together. Mm -hmm. um, and is that because you had funding behind you that you could make that no, decision? No, absolutely or? not. It was not. No, um, <laughs> uh, it was because we had both recently been broken up with by our respective girlfriends and we were both out of work. Um, and Sounds I good. think I was working in a pub actually at that point. No, actually, no, actually, no. At that point, I'd actually been fired from the pub. So, um, <laughs> so it was, it was, it was, no, we were neither of us massively happy and we needed something to happen and yeah. we were in a real place of struggle. And yeah, we came up with this idea and we were like, let's make it, let's just make it. And we made it without paying ourselves at all. Mm. Um, I think we had enough for a guarantee for an Edinburgh venue from profits from previous Edinburgh shows that I'd done as a student. Right. Um, uh, yeah, because I, I remember there was, when I was about 17, I took my first Edinburgh show to... Uh, which was like two weeks and it was really unsuccessful but I, um, I borrowed £500 off my parents and I got the £500 back and I put it in an account and then <laughs> and then uh, the next year I like you know we uh, I I, uh, I had saved up another £500 and I put that onto that and then, then we went with, with that amount of money and I got some money from the university funding but uh, and a, a tiny little bit from a college fund and then uh, and we it kind of grew and grew, and by by the end, I had like a couple of grand yeah. that was set aside for Edinburgh shows um, and Edinburgh guarantee, so we were able to use that. Um, and yeah, and that was, and we basically made it for free. We got loads of people 
to give us space for free. We had a friend, I, I, I'd put a friend of mine up on my floor for three weeks while she was looking for work as an mm. actor. And in, in, she didn't have any money. So she was basically like, yeah, in, in my, but my mum's got a, got, a, got a house in Spain. So you can go and write it there. Wow. <laughs> so um, good rehearsal space. Yeah, it was actually a really good <laughs> rehearsal space. So we rehearsed in this like insane heat under a lemon tree. Um, <laughs> because yeah, that was actually cheaper than, you know. It was, so we, we begged, borrowed and steal a lot of things. Uh, we did some rehearsing in like my parents' garden. We did some rehearsing in, uh, we had a, a friend of Sam's, his, uh, like her dad, ran had like built a rehearsal studio on his farm and Whoa. like there was a small he's like a dancer but like also is a farmer it was quite like and he he had a small rehearsal barn he converted a barn into a sort of studio and we were allowed to sleep on the sofas there and um, what you making this show yeah we just had to agree to like help him on the farm for two hours a day so we just went around did some like chop some wood and yeah. like things like that and yeah amazing um, so you don't hear those kind yeah. of things that go into make, actually making a show. Just I think. mean, we were really desperate. Like, we asked so many people for help. Yeah. And, you know, there were people were able to give us some help. Um, and then we made the show, and it went well. And then it was a thing, you know. Mm. And, um, and did you make the show already having the guarantee at Edinburgh and that is what forced you yeah, to make it yeah yeah we, we, we paid the money for Edinburgh we had, so we had to do so you, you're, you're like we're going we need to have a yeah. show to go we also we think Theatre Delhi in London also gave us a week of space in exchange for us clearing out one of the rooms that was full of building rubble oh. so I spent two days clearing out a room full of building rubble and we had a space which had no power so when the sun went down that was that the was end it. of the day um <laughs> It was really nice, though, actually. It was on the top floor of the old build BBC building in Marlebone High Street. So it was actually quite good, yeah. although there was no power. So that was another quite interesting bit, is that mm. we had no laptops. We didn't really have... We only had it laptops for however long the battery lasted. Okay. So the, all the, there was a lot of research involved, and a lot of that research had to be with books. So uh, I'm, my dad is at, um, uh, is, is at Manchester University, and so I was able to get loads of books from Manchester University. I think we took out his entire allowance of 50 books um, and everything we could read on Bin Laden, and we took it to these rehearsal studios. We carried them around us in a suitcase. Wow. And we just read everything we could, and we ended up with Bin Laden's life story on a massive roll of corrugated cardboard that had been taken out of a skip um, with all these post-it notes. And, um, yeah, and, we, and we, we, we had... we worked out what bits of the show we wanted to, what his life we wanted to represent. And that, that was how we made the show. Mm. Um, uh, and it was, it was a really, it was a very hard show to make because we were, we were working really hard on it and we had absolutely no money. Mm. Um, but, um, and artistically, how was it difficult? Or in oh, terms of your director's process, how you I mean, it was difficult because um, it was, we were writing it together and it was a hard show to write and it was really difficult to transition to the moment of being a director in that thing. Mm. And that is actually one of the really hard things if you're ever writing and directing at the same time is the moment you hand over and usually it's difficult to create distance between yourself as a writer and yourself as a director um, and I think the only way of doing that would actually be to have a solid like few weeks between actually fully finishing the script. Um, and then and coming the, in as a director. Yeah, and I've never really been able to do that because there's that sense of like development and we often do a lot in workshop and like and it all it feels like a cumulative thing that never quite that that, that forms organically um but every process i'm like this is the process when we, it's going to be done by and it, it never it never quite happens there's always something that's still being worked out in the last minute um but so that was one of the really difficult things and yeah and i, I remember the fight like it being quite close to the wire and before the very first preview, it just really being a case of just Sam trying suddenly realising that actually, and then we got to about 10 days before the first show and Sam realised that he had an hour of text to learn and actually that, that actually in itself is a huge task. Yeah. Um, so my director's process was very much curtailed by actually just helping the actor learn, learn his lines. Um, so yeah, but it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was, and it was also a really terrifying thing because what we were doing, essentially presenting Bin Laden as a hero for argument's sake, we were really frightened of. Yeah. And we didn't know 
we didn't know how it would work and we actually thought people might maybe I don't know we might get a punch or something at the end of, at the end of this first show and we were we were genuinely not sure genuinely not sure so kind of fits with the name right that's exactly yeah, the yeah, kind of show yeah, that yeah. fits but that wasn't really the founding of the company we were at that point we were just that's what we just called ourselves in the end of a fringe program right. we only really founded the company when we decided to come back to that show after having both trained so in 2015 December 2015 so about um, which is just after I I'd, I finished yeah just after I graduated from Birkbeck basically we founded the company with Companies House and um, we started going about trying to raise money to take Bin Laden to America which was one of the things we've always wanted to do which we did with a Kickstarter campaign and some Arts Council International Development money. And did you change the show? A bit, but not much. At, um, we rewrote some bits, mm. we updated a few bits, we put something, we responded to some events that had happened since, particularly in relation to like um, Al Zakawi had then, who was someone who Bin Laden had never really liked very much, um, had then since become leader of ISIS. Mm. So it was kind of that we felt like we wanted to nod to that progression and introduce Al-Zakawi in case any people did know what then he then went on to. And although often pe some people did, but some people didn't, um, it was then felt important actually that we had then represented that moment of meeting between them and their disagreements mm. in order to talk about the kind of different versions of... of, of uh, of, of, of terrorism that have been happening in the Middle East and the different schools of thought within these, you know, the, the, the debates going on within them, which is, I think, a very important thing for Western audiences to think about and understand because I think... We don't get that, We don't get those. Just painted as other, right? Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So, yeah, we changed some things. Um, but, yeah, but basically we were really frightened about doing that as well. I mean, it was a terrifying experience. Um, yeah, but we were fine. America was totally fine. Everyone was really... Pretty okay. See, that surprises me. Yeah. I, thought, I thought taking that show to America might be the more provocative thing. But the only the only time I ever felt afraid was when I was flying and I flyered stupidly flyered a family of a navy family, like a guy like they were all wearing navy t shirts, and I just I just thought it would be fun to you know to see if that to to fly them. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was in San Diego. It was a big navy town. Uh, very liberal town actually, but big navy town, and, and they, they were. He had three really big teenage sons, and he was also massive. And these massive American men just staring at me, trying to work out whether or not I was maybe a terrorist. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I had I really had to talk the talk. It took me about <laughs> forty five minutes to get away. Wow. Um, but it wow. was just that. It was just I felt like they were. I didn't think that maybe they would like beat me up, but I did think that perhaps if they got the wrong end of the stick, they could maybe, I don't know, sit on me and try and make a citizen's arrest or oh, like, you know, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was the only time. Other than that, it was absolutely fine. Um, so talk to me about the logistics of touring then, like how, how would so, you, yeah. going from literally nothing? Yeah, so we really did, we really did have nothing and, and um, it was, it was... And it's really hard because when you're, everyone starts out as a complete nobody mm. um, in theatre and no one, no one gives a shit uh, who you are or what you've got to say or what your show is. And unless a few people have started to say, oh yeah, they're worth watching or worth going to see, they're not going to be interested. Um, so it's really hard to get over that first little hurdle. Um, and yeah, and so we basically, we just... And weirdly, it, taking the show to America um, was the thing that got us noticed in the UK. Okay. Um, so um, it was only the fact that we were doing a preview of the show before we went to America in Manchester. And, and these guys are going to America. With and the suddenly the guys who were like doing the artist development stuff at my, uh, the Royal Exchange were like, oh, some, so there's people from Manchester that are going to... America, we better find out who these guys are. So then they actually came to see the show and they, they really enjoyed it. Um, uh, and yeah, and it was a really good show, that, that particular show as well. Um, so 
yeah and then we were invited to do some further stuff with them like there are a few kind of you know artist development programs that involved a little bit of money to try out an idea uh, or whatever this is Royal Exchange yeah. in Manchester yeah um, so we did one of those and then they asked they were, they were basically like would, would you consider being our supported artists for the next 12 months which basically involves mentoring some money um some money for our personal development, uh, which we're still spending, you know, mm. we've got this little budget of being able to invoice the Royal Exchange for theatre shows I go and see sometimes, yeah. you know, which is things that are really, really helpful when things are difficult. Um, uh, and then a bit of money to make a show. And there's also, and then there's also like mentoring from basically any department we want. So then before we, yeah, and then um, uh, so then before we uh, went to Bin Laden on its first UK tour, we then had like the head of lighting from the Royal Exchange. They they literally spent a day with us. They set up our show in the yeah. studio. Um, spent a whole day with us, giving a light us a lighting tutorial to help us light our own show because you know we couldn't afford a lighting designer at that point, and those are that was knowledge that we needed. And the same has got has happened has happened in the marketing department. You know, producers like really it's an amazing place to be and to have a connection with because just the amount of support was kind of amazing, and people's doors were always open in a crisis. You know, and actually started doing those things that they're difficult, so you need that. And and then essentially we we booked our first Bin Laden tour off the back of the reviews. Reviews are really helpful. And we were basically like, yeah, we're going to do an Edinburgh show. Mm-hmm. So um, the uh, the return to Edinburgh was essentially the sort of, I suppose, the PR thing that would increase the profile of the show. Yeah. So then it felt like it was a big Edinburgh tour. Um, uh, well, I mean, a post Edinburgh tour kind of thing. Yeah. So we booked the, the tour before going to Edinburgh, but they but the theatres knew that hopefully we would have been a thing that people were talking about in Edinburgh and that would help sell their the, our runs in their theatres. Got you. Um, and we basically wrote to every theatre we could, um, yeah. every single theatre in the country. Um, but the thing is, when you're booking a tour, you can't... Uh, yeah, I mean, it, you, you, you can't just expect people to get back to you. You have to chase. Mm. So we have a big spreadsheet, which is like a traffic light system, um, green is booked in orange is some warm conversations red is a firm no white is no response yet right and we one of us is our responsibility and we set reminders on our calendar every Monday morning or whatever it's like we go around all the theatres we haven't heard from yet and this is calling or emailing or what so start with an email then you an email two weeks later and then you can call every week until you get a no or a yes, that, that 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 that's our our way of doing it, um, and we basically did that with everywhere mm. until people told us to either fuck off or <laughs> yes please, um, and uh, I think there's really no other way of doing it, and we managed to get a pretty decent tour out of that, mm. and then we were like okay great, this, we also had got arts council subsidy for that too, and then we were like right great well we'll use this touring network to to program in a second show yeah so um, we'll tell them all about our next show. And uh, and then and then try and get a second tour with them, and then we put we we were able to get a tour of a similar size um, for our second show, War with the Newts, post Edinburgh as well, with that same kind of model, basically having a series of people that we have conversations with. The main re- and the main reason for touring is just because yeah, you could make a show for one space. But how big is the audience really for your show? Mm. Like especially when you're just starting out. Like realistically, the people that are going to come to a show that's made, made by a small theatre company are not that many per city. Um, and but once you've made a show, you've got a show. You've done something. You might yeah. as well get as much mileage out of it as you possibly can, and be paid. You know, like um, and for a lot of the shows, I've run the tech. Mm. Uh, because I also want to be able to be paid for as long as possible exactly. after that, you know. So, um, and uh, and it is quite handy when you're a small theatre company to have somebody who is from the company arriving in the theatre 
who's not performing, not on stage, who's able to have all the conversations and be like, oh, like, are there no posters up? Why is that? Um, oh, you only put your main show. Well, perhaps we can have a poster outside the door mm. just, you know, just for today or whatever, you know. All those things are kind of important. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of why touring. We just, we just like, you know, it's hard to make shows and might as well get as much as possible. And actually that has worked really well because now we have a sort of network of theatres who will pick up the phone. And you go back to them and got, you've got a relationship with the people yeah. at the end of the phone. Yeah, that You're exactly. not just cold calling now. You're not cold calling, although um, personnel does change hands. Yeah. Though things change relatively quickly. Um, I think that once you've created a relationship with a particular person, um, chances are they will have moved on within two years. But that's still enough to get another thing. And also, yeah. even if they have moved on, you can still create a relationship based on the fact that, oh yeah, we had a really good run with you two years ago. And people in the building will remember your show, especially if it was good. So, and that, might, that moving on might not be a bad thing. If that person's moved on to a new venue that you haven't been to, um, precisely. You, you can follow that yeah, person precisely. there. Yeah. Um, you've talked about Edinburgh a couple of times. How many times have you been to Edinburgh with a show? Um, a lot. Um, what, what would you say your like main three top tips would be as a kind of if I'm a just out of uni got yeah. this idea for a show got a little yeah. bit of money behind me what are you go with a reason okay um, have a clear career goal because Edinburgh is really hard work mm-hmm. it is you work way over the European uh, time to work time directive <laughs> um, by a long way Especially if it's your if you're funding it yourself or your own company is funding it, yeah. which is most people's experience, mm-hmm. um, then you're putting yourself at a huge amount of financial risk, um, and really the show will probably live or die on how hard you work, um, and even if you work your ass off, you might it might not do very well financially. Um, I've been really really lucky. Uh, with Edinburgh shows I have only ever lost money once and it was a massive budget and we lost about £500 over the whole thing Um, so I've been really lucky but I have also I work so hard when I've been Mm. up in Edinburgh Um, uh, I usually don't drink until um, we've broken even yeah, that's good, good um, yeah. which is you know which to be honest just keeps your morale up uh, yeah. more than anything else but also it makes it easier to get up at 10 o'clock and go and do flyering it means you're more likely to be able to see a show as well yeah. you can do your session for flyering but you can go and see that show at the Travis in the morning um, which that I think really helps so even before you get to Edinburgh how yeah. do you get a show there how do I so basically you you ring up one of the major venues Mm -hmm. and most of, all of the venues in Edinburgh work on a hire basis. They're a venue for hire. That's what they are. The only way that a venue can break even, essentially when they have no idea really of the quality of the show, is by being a a venue for hire. So you pay this amount of money, you can have this space for this amount of time. Based on how good they think you are, they might be able to give you a better deal. So everything's negotiable. So you can always negotiate the deal down, um, but there is a point beyond they won't, which mm. they won't go. Yeah. There are some venues that have a slightly different policy. I mean, Summer Hall is a much more generous venue in the sense that they are, they're concerned with making money, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily concerned they make a lot of their money on the bar. So they're concerned with everything breaking, even being able to pay all their salaries. But they're less, I would say they're less cash hungry and a bit more willing to take into account where you are as a a company, you know, like a little bit more respectful of that. Um, So I think they're a really good venue to be at. I also think their artistic programme is second to none. Mm -hmm. And if anyone, and if you want to be anywhere in Edinburgh, really want to be in Summerhall if you're making sort of contemporary theatre um, which which you know it has some kind of real artistic kind of weight to it then you want to be in Summer Hall but that said they're really hard venues to get in with um, they um, they don't they don't programme 
uh, anyone they you know it's, it's taken me a really long time to develop a relationship with someone yeah um, a lot of emails a lot of invites you know so it's taken a long time um, but and the other venues they are yeah I mean again they're becoming more and more conscious of their artistic program um, I think that's partly because things are becoming a bit more competitive right but still ultimately they're a venue for hire and when in the calendar year are you calling these venues um, you're wanting to get everything tied up by February it's a massive yeah just a long way in advance massive in advance yeah yeah um, and yeah so yeah so and, and it's, it's it is it's a I think the my main advice for going to Edinburgh is that it's not worth going unless you know why you're going um, and what were your reasons for going? Different at different times. The mm-hmm. first time I ever went, I wanted to m- make a show, and I had a bunch of friends who wanted to go to Edinburgh. I mean, we stayed in a youth hostel, and it was like we were seventeen-year-olds, and it was kind of awful in terms of like the living conditions, but it was a sort of great experience for, yeah. and everyone had a really good time. And that's basically what it was. Yeah. Um, and our venue was miles away from the city centre, so. You know, no one was ever going to come and see the show, really. But that wasn't actually the important thing. It was just having the experience of going out. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, yeah, um, the Bin Laden, when we took that for the first time, it was to be on the map as professional theatre makers. You know, um, to be someone, to have something under our belt. We needed yeah. something under our belt. No theatre was going to program us. No, like, subsidised theatre was going to program us. Yeah. Um we probably could have got some space at a fringe theatre in London, but actually, who wants to be on at a fringe theatre in London? Um, people who like have no need to make money as mm. is, is, is who really? Um, uh, yeah. So um, and that, that first thing was just about it was about like leveling up, like having something to be go and knock on doors with. Yeah. Um, then the second time we went back. It was we were taking that. So sorry, the the time with the second time we took Bin Laden back. That was, that was to take Bin Laden back and make the most of the awards and the reviews that we've got over the years, mm-hmm. but go with the knowledge and the experience um, that we've gained in the meantime and actually make the most of that show. Yeah. So go with a slightly better show, slightly tighter show, a more yeah. mature show, but also do a shit hot marketing campaign and actually sell some serious tickets yeah. so that we had some money to do some other things in the future. And actually that year we made like six grand mm. um, on our, on our Edinburgh. And that was, so that was, that was really successful. And lined up other tours. And, and, and exactly. And then we, we, we aligned up our first national tour exactly. off the back of that. And they would not have booked us if we hadn't been going to Edinburgh. I don't think, I just yeah. think it was a really good offer. Um, but not only gone to Edinburgh, but, but did it was shit hot, you know? Yeah, in Edinburgh, and it was yeah. that show. Yeah, yeah, and so that was the reason was to just do that show really that we mm. already knew was good, really, really well. The second, the, then, then, yeah. So then, the second kind of big show we made, War with the Newts. The reason for taking that to Edinburgh was to develop a relationship with Summerhall, right? Because we did not want to be at sea venues again because they were pretty terrible. Um, they have a low bar for entry. They will take. They used to take almost anyone. Yeah. Obviously, they are no more now. Um, for various dodgy employment practices that you know is, um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of common knowledge now. But, yeah. Um, that, that they have disappeared. Um, but a lot of the other venues are quite similar in terms of the way they work. But we really wanted to be at Summer Hall because they pay everybody who works there properly. Right. Um, so it means that they're actually they actually know what they're doing. That the people running the venues actually know how to disable the fire alarm or whatever it is that you need doing. Yeah. You know, um, and they're actually trained in what in their job. Um, they and they and have a really good reputation. And artistically, they have a great reputation. We really wanted a relationship with Summer Hall. We probably. The reason why we didn't make any money was probably because the venue that we were offered in Samoa was so small. Mm-hmm. So we had to do two shows a day, which was exhausting I bet. <laughs> in order to make that venue work because it was such a tiny space. Right. We weren't given one of the main theatres. We were just given a basement room. Um, 
But we got to have that basement room for the entire time. We built an amazing set in there. It was like an experience going into that room. And we were the only show that didn't have to take the set down at the end of the thing. So it was, it was, yeah. it was, it was really cool. And we got the Summerhall Lustrum Award, which is like the one that's sort of given by the guy who owns it um, while we were there. And so that kind of meant that now we can always go back there. And I feel like next time we can probably go into one of the spaces which has seats and heating and isn't damp and that kind of thing. And so, you know... Did, it, right. did it not add to the to the play there? Oh, yeah, no, it there, did. Yeah. It, was, it was totally the right space for the play, although acoustically it, it wasn't. And at that point, I don't think we had... We didn't have the sound engineering knowledge to make that space work acoustically because it was a really bad space acoustically. So that was one of the... Um, one of the first, we Lynn Gardner finally came to see one of our shows and um, and tweeted that she she um, that she did a whole load of positive stuff, but that she found the sound really challenging. And to be fair, the sound in where she happened to sit was challenging. She was in one of the corners with loads of reverb, and we just didn't get the sound right for that space. We just yeah. didn't know how to deal with a fully concrete space. Right. Um, uh, it was really really tough, and there was a, uh, a sort of immersive sound design, which was very intense. And it worked beautifully in the theatres when we had just a little bit of extra expertise to help yeah. us get, get it all set up. Didn't quite get it to work in Edinburgh. So when someone new comes on board, yeah. what are the... Because a theatre company does evolve yeah. and people come and go. What, totally. What are your kind of... What's your advice or what do you look for when, when uh, bringing someone on? I would say probably the biggest piece of learning that we've had in the last year and the biggest struggle... Um, biggest difficulties have been um, have been logistical they've been it, um, actually the artistic side of things have felt really good and really positive but there it's it's really difficult when you are inviting someone to collaborate with something which is very much your baby mm -hmm. and so for me and Sam though those shows very much are there are babies and we put in obviously a huge or as most people anyone will know who like is listening to this and is a freelancer that the amount of work that goes into your own project is just crazy and when you bring somebody else on it is really important I think to go through proper due process and I've hired we've hired quite a few people on the basis of either recommendation or being someone that we're kind of quite friendly with and we kind of get on with and we get have a good feeling about it. Yeah. Um, and or, or both. And then being like, yeah, they're, they're, I think they'd be great. Let's get them on board. And actually the lack of formal kind of process mm -hmm. for appointments has really like really created difficulties for us this year. So one of the things that we've learned is that Formal, yeah. I mean, the, to have contracts, to have a yeah, set responsibilities, that job descriptions, kind of contracts, all of that boring stuff. Mm. Um, to do everything by the book, and that doesn't just go for employing an actor or employing a designer. That employs for that goes even for anyone that is not the core of your company, and even potentially for those people to have some kind of clarity on who's doing what. Um, yeah, we've we've had some we've had some real difficulties with people um, deciding that things weren't their job when you know they definitely were in the crucial moments yeah. a few days before opening a show, you know um, when everything else is really stressful, yeah. or we've we've had people actually taking on other work when in the most busy times, not understanding when the work for us would be and that's yeah. understandable people have to take on other different jobs as a freelancer but people who aren't actually experienced enough to know that the week before opening the show for the first time is the time when you can't take on any other work mm -hmm. um, and that kind of stuff has been really hard we've also had people who come really highly recommended who've come and then produced for us and then taken on way too much work and not communicated about the difficulties that they've then been having and actually uh, we had one particular producer who had a mental health crisis and um, 
didn't speak to us about it. We kept asking, are you okay with all this? Are you okay with all this? Yeah, it's all being done. It's all in hand. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Um, and actually, he just wasn't doing the work. Um, and so having formal processes within with whoever you end up working with, not just to not just to be not just for application but also to properly manage people because right. actually it's your responsibility as someone who runs a company or is running a project to manage everyone on the on the project and i've never really seen myself as a manager i see i like i want to be a director <laughs> yeah. yeah i want to direct work i want to write work i, I want to be someone who is in, engaged in the artistic side um, but actually the thing that's really taught me is if you're going to run a company you have to be okay with being a manager yeah. and actually manage people and the biggest thing I've learned this year is that you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't proactive enough in being a manager mm. and that's unbelievably boring but also I think a really important lesson that I feel like I've learned this year and going the other way then advice for someone coming into a company as a freelancer what are the things that either you need to understand or that um, you need to be mindful of? I think the things you have to be... I think I think having a proper contract is really important for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, the less formal the arrangement in terms of how you've arrived, the more important it is to have a contract. Um, and, uh, you know, email trails can be contractually binding, so that, like, is something. But, like, if, if at all possible, even if it's just, like, a letter of agreement or whatever... And have a job description and have and because and, it means that whoever's employing you has to actually think about what it why it is that they want you on the project and what it is about you that they want mm. and then that kind of protects you in the rehearsal room because it's like well you wanted me to do this yeah and this is what I'm doing um, so it, it it's protection for everybody and I think everyone has to kind of in this kind of world of where a lot of things are informal mm-hmm. part of part of developing is actually everyone being really professional yeah and um and yeah and and so so yeah and i think so i think that's one thing to bear in mind and that's a way of protecting oneself but also the other thing to bear in mind is that the person that you're working with probably does a huge amount of work for free Mm -hmm. they probably raised all the money and did that fundraising for free um and actually yeah and and that you being they will probably be they should be prioritizing the people that they employ over themselves they should be doing that and most decent people running a company will do that um and so there's no excuse for not following equity like contracts there's no excuse for not following um uh, itc if they've said that's what they're going to do like People should be well-treated and well-paid. But at the same time, it's important to bear in mind that those other people have put in that enormous amount of, of, of labour and to respect that. And and to, I guess, be appreciative of the fact that, you know, the reason why this is happening. And even if they're not doing that in that pro- project or in that moment, if they've found it, you know, if they're a founder, they've... I'm sure they'll have done that in the first yeah. year, first yeah. two years yeah. at minimum. Yeah, exactly. To uh, get them to that point. And that is to be expected. You know, mm. no, 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 one, no freelancer or no one running a company should be going around well being, I should be being paid so much more than you because I put all the free labour in. It's like, well, you chose it, mate. You know? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, there is that thing of like, and, and that's the thing is if, if you feel like, if you think that you actually can't do the job that you have been asked to do um you're probably putting someone's sort of entire livelihood at risk you you not doing that job or not properly could potentially sink a number of other people for a year so for example this this uh this summer um has been a very slow summer partly because we have the dual problem of um uh a a, um, a tour going not as well as it should have done because of this mental health crisis from a from a producer we were working with and therefore we did not have the spare money that we planned to have to pay ourselves to do the first R&D on the next project and actually it's been back to the drawing board and we've had to apply for some of those things and also another pro- and another project falling through has meant that we've then had a very very slow summer and that 
actually the responsibility of working with a small company is that they're really vulnerable and you and they're, they're, I think yeah it's just something that's important to always bear in mind however well a company is doing they're super vulnerable yeah and it's very easy as well for people to look at small theatre companies and go oh my god they're doing really well they seem to be doing um I mean uh, I saw something advertised by Rash Dash just recently who are, you know, um, would I think most people would agree one of the most successful small touring theatre companies yeah, um, theater. yeah, yeah. In, in the UK right now. Um, they are looking for a producer to work with. They currently have £500 set aside to pay a producer for a week in order to discuss some future projects which then they might all be able to apply for together. Yeah. Um, so they're still in a vulnerable, precarious position. So I think that's one of the things that even real success, what does it look like? Massive precarity. Yeah. You know? and, and you talk to someone like Bryony Kibbings about this, you know, she is an incredibly organized, incredibly successful freelance artist, but her company is constantly, um, you know, six months away from collapse. Um, and it's really, it's, it's really tight. All that would need to happen is, you know, a few mishaps. A few knockbacks. Yeah, a few, few knockbacks and everything can fall apart. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think I would, for anyone who is thinking about um, starting a company or is, in, who is running a company, I would say really, really reflect on the way in which you employ people and the way in which you search for people and, co- and, and collaborate with people on what terms. And I think sometimes... That could, yeah, I think that those are the big pitfalls for companies. Well, so it was certainly was for our company, and you know, I would imagine it's similar for her. Exactly for me as well. Um, something I really love about your model is your attachment with, especially venues. Or I yeah. think you're very good, you personally, at working with venues. Yeah. Um, how how do you do that? How what what does that look like for you? Like practically and artistically, or what does that give you? You mentioned the Royal Exchange. Yeah, a bit. I honestly don't think I'm actually that good at working with venues. I wish I was a lot better. Right. Um. So, I mean, recently a collaborator of mine was working with Katie Mitchell and was talking to her about exactly this, and she was saying that she basically she calls it going fishing, <laughs> where she basically has three, at least three potential projects on the go at any one point that she's got and she basically goes around and if she's got a gap in her diary usually three years in advance obviously because she's Katie Mitchell and um, she will um, she will just do the rounds and be like right look listen yeah oh yeah just have a coffee you know I've got this you know one idea and just be kind of looking for if the producer or whatever is biting and if they're not, then move on to the other one and can keep going yeah. until they go, oh, oh, that'd be really interesting, actually. That, I'm, I'm really interested in that. Um, and so this thing of like not being, not being offended when the producer actually isn't into your idea. Because that's one of the things I find really difficult. Was it takes, I think, think about these ideas for ages and yeah. ages and ages. And I'm like, right, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to go and talk to the person at the theatre about them they probably have no idea that I've literally just spent a week <laughs> in my room being like reading everything it's just uh, writing all out all yeah. out and fucking nervous yeah. you know um, <laughs> you get there super yeah. early and yeah yeah <laughs> and um, uh, yeah they probably have no idea how much work goes into those things and so and some, and then sometimes the producer's like oh, yeah it sounds really interesting but you know actually got loads of people who were interested in doing things about this at the moment you know it's not or we've just programmed a whole season yeah, on that subject. Or Sorry. Exactly, and or whatever it is. And then it feels like you you just want the world to swallow you and you're like, no, that's that yeah. did not work. Um so that's I think a really interesting approach, having multiple things that you can go to people with mm. and actually doing the rounds. I'm not that good at it. Um I I think I'm good at I'm good at really fleshing out one idea really well in lots yeah. of detail and go and when I'm ready I will go around and I'll be like this is our next project can I talk to you about it what I would like to do is blah 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 yeah um, in person or how do you do, how do in you... person I mean you send an email saying can I talk to you about our next yeah. project it's blah are you interested and then hopefully they say yes and then you go and you pitch them the project but the thing is you always 
it's not just about being programmed. The way we've always done it, because we're, uh, we apply for Arts Council, it's not, um, it's not just about what... Um, it's just it's not just about like what uh, you want out of them. You're like you want to, well, no, it is just it is it's it's kind of what you're offering them as in a show, mm. and also what they can give you in terms of support. So that arts council application is going to be infinitely more successful if you've got a little bit of something from each theatre you go to, and some theatres are just going to be like all we can give you is some money to do the show. And that's fine. That's yeah. absolutely fine. Or great, you know, but if you can. You know, being like, well, we're looking to rehearse. We're looking for places to rehearse, or perhaps we could, you know, come do one week of rehearsal with you, like you know, and then come back and do the show three weeks later, or whatever. Yeah. Um, a bit of space, a bit of marketing power, a bit of yeah, like or um, I mean, you would hope that they would be doing the marketing as a theatre anyway. Anyway, yeah. Um, because marketing in a, in a city which is not your own is hard, um, really difficult. Because who cares about? You're not from that. You're city. not from the city, so you don't know who to call up. No. You don't know like where what paid advertising space is going to be a good use of money. You don't know what Facebook groups to go on to yeah. with the way the local artists are. You know, you need someone in the theatre to do that. Ideally, you can do it, but it's not much fun. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, you think about all of those things. It might be that they have a, an area of expertise. So, for example, with War with the News, they were like, we're we're really we've got a great technical department here. And they'd really like to help you build it. Mm. And we were like, okay, cool. Uh, I don't think they quite knew how much we would then ask for, from, from, <laughs> from them. But, um, but it was brilliant because the head of tech at Square Chapel was um, basically our, our kind of sort of part-time production manager. And he was the guy giving us all the advice and telling us what materials to use and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And it, that was stuff that we needed and wouldn't have been able to get otherwise. And I guess that's what impresses me is that you can just grab that bit of knowledge and you've got your lighting design and then you've got and by the end of it you're you're fully sufficient in terms of but that's what, the thing is it's actually acknowledging your weakness yeah so people really warm to people being honest about what they don't have like yeah. one the knowledge that they don't have mm. um so if you go to someone you're like well actually i'm not very good at this and i bet there's someone in your theater that's good at this like oh yeah and they go, oh yeah. yeah it's flattering yeah. to be needed yeah you know instead of the arrogance of I think lots of young theatre makers feel like they need to be arrogant um, and just go, I can do everything. It's actually like, no, like, ask for help. People mm. love uh, being asked for help. Um, and actually, that's great for the producer to then, go, to then go over to the production manager and be like, hey, like, these people want to do this kind of wacky thing and they want your help. Yeah. Then the production manager's like, oh, what's the show? And then before you know it, the whole theatre is behind you exactly. in support of what you make. Rather than coming in day one going, we can do everything ourselves, mm. leave us to it. Yeah, exactly. And that's really nice. Not all theatres work like that. Mm. Not all theatres want to actually be asked for help in that way. But a lot do. Mm. Um, and if you're respectful and you don't ask too much and, you know, it's really helpful. And, they, and it looked great on the Arts Council because you're being proactive about your development and you're not assuming you know everything. Mm. Um, and so you're seeing yourself as a journey and that's very much the way that we kind of... And we also know that theatres want to be able to tick the boxes for the Arts Council. Yeah. They're supporting emerging work and emerging talent. So if you can position yourself as that tick for that box, yeah. that is going to be helpful. That's so true. And... For you guys, what is next for you? Looking next, so we're taking a little bit of freelance time, do a little bit because we're quite. One of the things we were aware of this summer was that we've been we've had a really good sort of eighteen months, two years at the company, just really really busy. Um, you know, almost enough money to pay tax, kind of. You mm. know, like feeling very 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 happy yeah. when we do finally <laughs> pay tax. Oh my god, it'll be great. Um, and um, we've had a really good two years. It felt really good. But then a couple of things falling through, just meaning that we had a sort of enforced break, Was we were suddenly like, oh my God, our freelance careers aren't on the boil enough to be able to cover that. So we've kind of just been, yeah, we, we basically like, well, what we probably need to do is we need a certain amount of time in the year, which is naive theatre, certain amount of time during the year which is freelancing and actually 
because we need to refresh our pool of collaborators we need to like meet new people um and not always be working with each other as well mm. that's also important um so we're having a bit of freelance time i'm going i'm doing an, uh, an assistant director in gig in uh london with the uh, the old tricycle which is now the kiln theater with indy rubaskin who's a director that i've always massively respected um so that uh so I'm really looking forward to that because it's a very exciting show. Nice to go back to doing a little bit of assisting, particularly with a director that, yeah, I think is great. And I think mm. that's one of the one of the important, the really nice things about when as a with assistant directing is when you 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 know that you're going to learn loads from from that person. And just being in the room, right? yeah, just yeah, exactly. And that's nice to go back to that sometimes. Um, uh, and Sam is going and doing some a uh, few different acting gigs. Christmas shows and things like that involved and um, then yeah and then the next projects there's two projects that um, are sort of on the boil we're going fishing as it were with mm-hmm. two and um, which will happen next spring it will either be um, a piece inspired by a really interesting book called Primate Change um, about how the human body is evolved in collaborate in, uh, in response to technology Cool. Um, which is kind of built on a few uh, um, a few different ideas that have been we've been trialing for years actually around mankind and technology, okay. particularly based around this like moment when man see, like becomes a farmer essentially, and the changes in society, in body, in like everything that happen. Yeah. And looking at technology now as a similar kind of moment of like where what it is to be a human day to day has changed. And that changes political structures completely. Mm. And it changes what your day to day existence is completely. Um, so I'm really quite excited about that. Um, so we're doing a huge amount of research around that and around those kind of those little questions. Um, that'll probably be quite a small scale show um, working with a... Uh, contemporary classical um, musician that we work with on board with the newts um, called Robert Bentall and um, a and and yeah probably uh, probably a storyteller and two um, physical theatre um, performers mm-hmm. and so, the other the other rod and, the, the, and other the other the other bait at the moment is a project about masculinity which as got so many potential uh, names man comma maid is, is, is one that is going around at the moment um, but we are in discussion at the moment with the BBC about doing a podcast um, around masculinity which is basically involves creating what we want to do is we want to create this um, like a little pod mm. that goes around almost like a kind of shed it could might end up being like a kind of converted horse box <laughs> that we will call the man cave and we will invite people to come and have a kind of one-on-one interview experience where they talk about masculinity and inviting everybody um, uh, to talk to us about what they think masculinity is, what makes a man, what doesn't make a man, all of these things. um, Again, being very naive about the answers. Exactly. Um, And I've already been doing this a little bit, like asking people, uh, particularly like, men of different ages asking them if they can tell me a story about a time when they felt like a man and when they felt emasculated and it's a really interesting way of getting people to talk about what they think being a man is without actually coming across as being someone who's trying to talk about gender politics Mm -hmm. so you get around that veil some fascinating things from people who probably wouldn't even like would never even think to think about where their gender identity comes from suddenly having these conversations via those questions so and so what we want to do is ask questions like that up and down the country and literally set up in town centers all around the place and it's possible so that one of those might be um uh at leeds international festival um, in 2020 so one of the one of the the things that we've we've pitched them um, uh, is setting up this man cave in the middle of Leeds town centre Amazing. and asking people about to, to come and talk to us and that then being the basis for a research for for the R and D for a small theatre touring show which will be about masculinity and that is the next show 
but we'll take back to Australia as well because Australia is a really interesting place for masculinity. Amazing. Um, uh, yeah, I had witnessed lots of interesting moments uh, over there. Uh, one of my favourite one being um, uh, an 11 year old, maybe a bit younger, could be nine year old boy, just stood at the top of a two story high pier. Massive jump. Dad, mum and sister already jumped in. Um, and dad starts shouting, you don't want anyone to think you're a girl, do you Kyle? Don't want anyone to think you're a girl. And uh, yeah, and then mum and sister saying, yeah, Kyle's a girl. Kyle's a girl. Then yeah, you don't want anyone. Everyone here is gonna. Everyone here is gonna know that Kyle's a pussy if you don't jump. If you don't jump uh, with this crowded beach, you know, a big big jump as well. And they all start chanting, Kyle's a pussy. Kyle's a pussy. Kyle's a pussy. No way. Um, and uh, no one on the pier batted an eyelid. There's like families out fishing. Like people going scuba diving, snorkeling, whatever. Loads of people are using this pier. It's a busy, busy pier. Yeah. No one says anything. No one says anything. Did he jump? Yeah, he jumped. Yeah. <laughs> and broke yeah. legs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was really deep water, so he was always going to be fine. But it was a big jump. Yeah. It's a scary thing to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, he could have hit his head on the way down if he jumped badly. You know, um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, we're we're hoping to and one and so we're having a great time actually, sort of researching about that. And there's just one of the, the particular angle that we're really interested in. Is I think a lot of people are, de- are thinking about masculinity at the moment. Mm. It's a real hot topic. That's amazing. Um, where can people find you and your company? What? So we're on Twitter and Instagram, and we have a website. Yeah. Um, Naive Theatre, K N A I V E, Theatre, spelt the English way, all one <laughs> word, uh, dot com, or at Naive Theatre for Twitter and Instagram. Um, and we're also on Facebook, um, search Naive Theatre, same yeah. spelling. Um, and yeah, and um, we hope to have our next show up and running um, in, in the spring. Cool. Um, yeah. Um, Bin Laden, the one-man show, unfortunately, is currently only touring internationally, so right. there aren't any plans for any UK dates. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, watch, watch this space. Is, um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me, and uh, all the best. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me.